0: morning my name's wade and uh i want to start with a question uh have you guys seen the movie shawshank redemption you know one of the uh running running things in the movie is that uh the main character andy dufresne he is digging a hole um through the walls of the prison and this is how he escapes and um did you know that that actually happened in real life and it's even more dramatic than this story in shawshank redemption because back in the late 80s there was a group of of um of people, um, people that were working against the government in Chile. And this was a um, dictatorship. And uh, there were some, they were taken prisoners and they were put in a jail cell in Chile, in Santiago. And um, they, were, they were, this was back in the late 80s. And there were a couple of guys, they said, we can't stay here, we need to get out of here. So they, they devised a plan. And they pulled a brick out of the wall in their jail cell. And they started digging away. They had a spoon at first, um, little by little by little. And then they had a screwdriver. They started digging away, digging away, digging away. And as you can imagine, that would have taken a really long time. Um, they, they dug to a certain amount. And they realized, oh, man, we're never going to get out of here. During their time there, they told other prisoners just very discreetly, hey, this is what we're doing. Um, And other prisoners, they found out and they said, we want to join you guys. So uh, several dozen men, over the course of 18 months, they took turns digging this hole and they would hide the debris in um, bags and they would bring it up to the ceiling of this prison um, during their, their free time. And they did this day in, day out, day in, day out. They would hide the hole with a poster whenever the guards came. This is just like uh, Shawshank Redemption. And um, finally, after 18 months, this was back in 1990 now, they dug a hole, a a tunnel that was 60 meters long through solid concrete, all with spoons and screwdrivers. And these... 49 prisoners, they eventually escaped this um, jail in Chile. If you look, there's actually a uh, a movie called Jailbreak, and it's a foreign film, but I think it's on a couple of the streaming platforms. And you can watch the story, um, a dramatization of this. But they actually made it. They dug this long tunnel. They escaped. And this group of prisoners, they had a common goal in mind. They They recognized that they all had a part to play in their escape if they wanted to get out. They all knew they had to cooperate if they were to succeed. They had to trust each other. They had to protect each other. And it worked. You've all heard the phrase, teamwork makes the dream work, right? Um, And I think that we all know that that is true on multiple levels. It has to be true in the workplace. It has to be true for the sports team. It has to be true in musical bands. And most of all, this needs to be true in the church. Um, And it's not boiled down to one catchy slogan, it's more than just teamwork makes a dream work. As we go through our text today, we're going to look at what Paul is writing about to the church. So I'm going to read the text first, and I'll give a little bit of the context, and then I'll explain the, uh, the text, and we'll respond in worship. So in your bulletin, or if you're following us online, this is going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10-17. through 17. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgments. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? This is the Word of God. And like I mentioned last week, for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the first two chapters of 1 Corinthians. Last week, one of the points we made was that the Corinthian church was made up of all types of people. This, the city of Corinth was along a trade route, so there were people of all socioeconomic level, levels, people of all different religious backgrounds, all different cultures, um, all different ethnicities, all different political leanings, different nations. And those that converged on the church, Paul wrote a letter to them and he said, You are the saints that have been called together. And the image that we should have in our mind when we think about that is that they've been called together not by themselves, but they've been called together by God. The hand of God moved them toward each other, and the hand of God bound them to each other. This was an intentional collection by the Lord. So here is this Corinthian church that Paul's writing to. This is a collection of people who are misfits in the truest sense of the word. Because there was no mold for them to fit into. You can look at a modern church today and you can say, well, these people, they, they're they mostly from the same socioeconomic background or level. Um, they kind of dress the same. They might have similar political leanings. Um, they seem to be friendly with each other. This was not the case for the Corinthian church. These were not people that would want to hang around with each other unless they had something bigger than themselves to Find them and we're not going to go deep into the book of first corinthians but if we did we'd see that this, this church has major major problems there was division there was scandalous sin and what paul writes to the corinthian church in today's passage is after he's made the greetings and salutations he's going to confront them he's going to tell the corinthians you guys have a problem and something needs to be done about it now, this may not be us, but even if it isn't us, the text has something to say to us. It has a message for us because, in perhaps tiny ways, there are divisions in this church. There are relationships that need to be mended. And especially in this season of the church, we need to be united, we need to be pointed in the same direction. So, I'm going to go through the text, I'm going to have a few points. Um, The first point is that unity is harmony. The second point is unity is pointed in the same direction. And then the third point is unity is a result of the cross. I don't have these in your bulletin, but I'll just speak them as we go through the points. So let's look at verse 10 again. Paul writes to them, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgments. So here is Paul telling the Corinthian church, there should be no divisions among you. You have to agree. You have to be united in the same mind and of the same judgments. The Corinthian church they had this problem. They didn't have, they didn't have agreement about what was the most important thing. They had their own preferences, they had their own convictions, and Paul is saying, there's a problem here because you don't have the same way of thinking. You don't have the same purpose or the same intention and paul he's telling them you need to speak the same paul has in mind the background of the corinthian people the corinthian church coming from different political parties there were there was a tendency to form factions i lean this way the other person leans that way therefore i don't want to associate with them Paul says, I want you to be in harmony with each other rather than talk past one another. There should be no divisions. When Paul writes, when he says, I want you to be united in the same mind, he has this um, what we would, for us English speakers, we would use the word harmony. He wants them to be, there wants, he wants there to be a harmony in the church. He's telling them. There are all types of opinions. There are all types of worldviews that you may have. But they all have to fall in line, not with each other, but they have to fall in line with the gospel. They have to fall in line with what is true of you. Remember in last week, Paul calls these Corinthians saints. This is the truest thing about them. This is their identity. These are the things that they need to align with. Their sainthood, the gospel that they sit under. And if this is true, then you will have the framework to think about each other, of yourself, of God, of the world around you, of your culture. And if that's the case, you can arrive at the same judgments about these important things. And if this is the case, then there can be harmony in the church. Now, we talk about this word unity, and this is something just in various seasons of the church at large. Um, unity is this really um, beautiful thing that people talk about because we all want this, uh, we all like this idea of unity. We, as most of us here, are Americans, and what do you call our country? The United States of America. There is something that unites us. Paul is saying, There's something that unites you. And it's not something that makes you all the same. It's not like a stamp that creates all the same type of people. He says it's creating a type of person that is under the lordship of Jesus. Unity is not sameness, but it is harmony. And harmony, as we think about it today, um, we often think about it in terms of music. You can have a group of people, and they could be singing all the same parts, and that would sound fine, but if you want something that sounds really beautiful and rich and textured something compelling to your ears then what do you want you want harmony you want the melody you want the harmony you want different parts being played and if you think about your favorite types of music um that may this may resonate with you you think about how the drums interact with the keyboards with the guitars with the bass with the um, string instruments with the woodwinds with the brass All this comes together to create something beautiful. And Paul is saying, if this is true of you, Corinthians, if you have the gospel above you, and if you make that your uniting theme, then there can be harmony in the church. There can be beauty in the church. There can be a type of music that's compelling, not just to each other, but to the world." So unity is not sameness. Unity is not, we're all thinking the same thing, but there is a harmony. There is a complement to each other. How does that look for us as a church? It doesn't mean that you all agree with the same types of politicians or you like the same sports teams or you have a view about how X, Y, and Z should work. It's fine to have opinions in the church. But think about what is most true of you and think about what's most true of each other. This past season, if you've followed, followed what's ha- been happening at, uh, with the church at large, especially the Western church, um, perhaps not specifically IGC, maybe IGC, um, the church is so divided because there are some people thinking, well, we should be talking about these things in this political arena this way. We should talk about the pandemic another way. And this has divided churches. People have left churches. People have left our church because they didn't like the way we did or didn't say things. And maybe that is what was best for them. Maybe that's what was best for us as a church. But isn't that sad? That we look at each other not as saints called together by the gospel with the same Lord. But the main thing we see about the other person is, oh, I don't like their politics. Oh, I don't like the way they talk about certain things. Oh, I don't like that they're not the same Myers-Briggs or Enneagram type. I can't get along with those people But this doesn't have to be the case. Our next point, unity is pointed in the same direction. So Paul, he says, the reason why you are divided, the reason why there are schisms in the church that need to be addressed is this. You're claiming to follow one teacher over the other. There's a list of names in verse 12. There's Paul, there's Apollos, there's Cephas, there's Christ. Paul says, all of you people you're saying i like this person i like how this person says these things it doesn't Paul isn't saying that they've taught wrongly in fact they were gifts to the church these ministers but Paul is saying you corinthians you're copying the culture that god has called you out of because what you're used to the way you think is Here is someone who speaks for me Here is this person who is very intelligent And I want to listen to them And that's imported into the way that they think about the church You follow them You argue that your teacher, the person that you follow Is superior And this is not true of just the Corinthian church It's true of all of us, is it not? We all have a tendency to identify ourselves with teachers, with leaders. Um, I like to read certain authors. I like to listen to certain um, preachers and speakers and thought leaders. And you probably do as well. And this is completely fine. Um, It's great to share with each other what podcasts you've listened to or, or what sermons you've listened to that have really blessed you. But so often we think, because this person articulates what I believe, because this person expresses and embodies what I want to be true, I'm going to attach my name to them. I'm going to attach their name to me. I'm going to attach their ministry, or I'm going to cling to their ministry, or the name of their church, or fill in the blank. And I've done this myself. I, During my most formative years, there were certain people that I listened to that had Successful ministries, and I was proud of them, and I still listen to them. I'm still thankful for these leaders. But they are not the most important thing. Um, some of these guys that I've listened to, uh, some of them aren't Christians anymore. They've blessed me so much, they taught me so much, but now they blaspheme the name of Christ. Others have fallen into scandalous sin, and no one wants to listen to them anymore, and people that tied them, themselves to their names, they look stupid. And I bet you that there are people that you listen to, people that you read, five years, ten years down the road, you're going to say to yourself, why did I identify with them so closely? Why was I so proud of being attached to whatever it is that they taught? There is in modern Christendom, at least in the Western Church, a tendency to speak for different ministries or pastors. That um, you could think of people, pastors or leaders or authors, all across the spectrum. Maybe on the charismatic side, the Pentecostal side, people in the um, kind of broad evangelical. Um, Spec- along this broad evangelical spectrum, people that are more reformed Presbyterian Baptist conservative and you could as I say these things you could probably think of names and um, people say, "Wow, this person's so great wow I really like listening to this pastor or this leader or this teacher and there is this proclivity in us to to Lionize them to say, Man, you're, these people are so great, so good. And as I've matured and developed over the years, I'm starting to find that a little bit gross. Um, do you? That people are so stuck on certain leaders. Paul is addressing that type of thinking right here. Look at the people you follow, he's not saying that they're wrong. But your devotion to them or their teaching is causing disunity. There are schisms in the church. Uh, One commentator that I wrote, his name is Stephen Um, and he calls this patronage. Um, Patronage is attaching yourself to this person. This person speaks for me. This person embodies what I think is true. And he has this great quote in his commentary, and I want to read it to you. Patronage is our escapist fix to numb the suspicion and fear that there is something wrong with the world and that it might be us We are looking to be a part of something bigger than ourselves But we attach ourselves to things that can't hold the weight and that ultimately crumble Creating walls between us and those who have attached themselves to other things This is the reason we latch onto causes They become our surrogate savior I like that phrase, surrogate savior. We become fierce evangelists for political parties, diets, methods of parenting and education. These things give us a sense of identity and purpose insofar as they make us different than or distinct from other people. Our patron-based identities necessarily build walls that destroy the shalom that we are seeking. Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, this is what you're doing. You're, you're, You're being patrons You're beholden to teachers or philosophies that are not Christ, that are not Christianity. You do not have the same heart. You do not have the same purpose. But you need something to bond you together, to bind you to each other, if you are to survive as a church. If this church is to be the type of church that matters and that God wants, it can't be divided by people. It can't be how good the preacher is or how good the leaders are. It has to be Christ. So what does that look for us as a church? We need to rethink what matters most in this church. Who matters most? What are we doing as a church together? A few years ago, I was at the Trader Joe's on Redwood Boulevard, and um, I was just doing some shopping, and... uh, pushing my cart and right in front of me there was a a, a display of cookies that was knocked over by a Trader Joe's employee Um, he himself was pushing a cart and he accidentally knocked it over I watched the display crates come crashing down and it was a huge mess and I was about to go bend over and start picking up the cookies but before I could do that there were five other Trader Joe's employees that just swarmed around this uh, the, this spilled display. They came out of nowhere. I didn't I have no idea where they came from. But probably some repelling from the ceiling, some people just jumping um, from the freezer section. Immediately, um, they just gathered all the cookies. They put everything in place. The whole whole episode took about 20 seconds and i watched in awe i had a front row seat to this display of unity it was like you know how um, if you watch nascar races the pit stops and there's there are all these people coming around um doing whatever they do um it was like that within 20 seconds it was as if nothing happened and this was the most impressive display of teamwork at a grocery store i've ever witnessed and i hope one day you can as well patronize trader joe's the employees worked together as a single organism. No one hesitated to get on their knees and to help their coworker. They all had other things to do, but no one paused in this moment to think about what, in, what type of inconvenience this would cause them. They were of the same mind. They were of the same purpose. And Paul says, this is what the church should be. Can we be better than Trader Joe's? What would it look like in the church? It begins with understanding the purpose of the church. What is our objective? And we've been saying this for um, at least a couple years now. We exist as a church to make disciples and help others follow Jesus. Or we we exist to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus. This is the command that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. If this is true then we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing to serve this purpose? What have you been gifted with? What are you passionate about? What area of the church will you serve in with your talents? Ask yourself these questions, and the answers to those questions, this is what God wants you to do in this church. Be of the same mind, Paul says. Paul writes to another church, to the Philippian church, chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 of the book of Philippians. This is what he writes. He writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Again, here is this. Thinking this mind theme that Paul is writing about. Have the same type of mind, he says. Think not only of yourself, but think of those around you. Think of your church, Indelible Grace Church. How would that look like in our church very practically? Pay attention to what's happening in this church and ask the people around you. Um, What needs are there in this church? And consider whether you can help. There are people who have been serving in ministries for years, and now they're tired, and they could use a break. Ask them how you can help. Don't assume that someone else will take care of it. As much as you're able to help out, take ownership of the problems that you see. If you see something that you would raise a complaint about, it's fine to raise that complaint. And then you can go ahead and help us fix it. One of the things that encourages me most as a pastor is when people complain about things in the church because it means that they take ownership. And if you're a member of this church, well, guess whose problem it is? It's yours. This is your problem to think about and address. It's my problem too. This is what it means to be united for, toward the same purpose. It doesn't mean that we diminish our own problems. Sometimes if we have our own issues, it might mean that you allow others to enter your problems as well. Um, Some of you may be going through some difficult things and you're hesitant to express what's going on. Maybe one of the ways that you can serve the church is by telling someone else in the church, hey, here's some stuff here that I'm going through. And um, it's not great. I need help. What does that do? It gives someone else the opportunity to minister to you. Not for your sake, but for the sake of Jesus and the unity of his church. What can we do? What would it look like to be of the same mind and of the same purpose? We have several dozen members of this church. We have a couple dozen covenant children. And we all have different talents and gifts and resources and passions. And can you imagine what this church would look like if we all agreed, hey, these are the things I'm skilled at. These are the things I care about. These are the needs that I see. And it's going to be my goal. It's going to be my desire. I'm going to make it my problem To help the church, to build up the church, to rebuild the church, to build up the fellow believers among us. This is us being in agreement with each other. Because what do we do when that happens? We say, the cause of Christ, the purpose of the church, takes precedence over my own issues, my own problems, my own hesitations. This is true. This is why Paul says, be of the same mind. Be of the same purpose. This is call, Paul's call to unity. Don't follow Paul. Don't follow pa- Apollos. Don't follow Cephas. Don't be divided. Follow Jesus Christ and go wherever he leads you. A few weeks ago, as we were going through the passage in Isaiah, um, do you, if you remember what I said, I um, Over and over in the Bible, God says, I'm doing things not for the sake of his people, ultimately, but he's doing things for his name's sake. For the sake of his name, for the glory of his name. God does everything. And we're the beneficiaries of God's love for his own glory. We're the beneficiaries of God's desire for his name to be glorified. But we have to remember that this is what's more important, that God be glorified. God says, for my name's sake, this is why I do the things I do, for the sake of the name of Jesus, for his honor, for his glory, for his reputation, I've called IGC together, and I've called the members together, not so that they would be occupied with religious stuff, not that they would come as a social club, but so that God's name would be glorified. This always has to be true of us, not for the sake of IGC, not for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of God's name. We gather and we worship and we express that worship, not just through music and not just through Sunday services, but through us serving each other, through us serving the community, through us loving other people. This is what unity looks like. The same purpose. There is a um, prayer that Jesus prays, and this is his high priestly prayer in John 17. I'm going to read this to you. And um, listen again. This is one of the, uh, I think, one of the most important prayers that has been ever prayed for the church that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. There's so much to unpack in these words in Jesus' high priestly prayer. But what I want to highlight is this. Jesus says, the way that the world is going to know that the gospel is true is not ultimately through apologetics. It's not ultimately through whatever flashy and sexy and charismatic things the church can do. The way that the world is going to know that the gospel is true, the way that the world will know that Jesus is Lord is through the unity of the church. The unity that the world sees in the church is what will draw people in to believe in him. It's when we're one that people will come to believe. And I wonder if people think about Indelible Grace Church, what will they see? Well, they see one large group of people with one goal, with one purpose, with one Lord. What if that were true of us? How would that testify to the gospel, the truth of it? May that be true of us. Now, how do we get there? How can we have unity? Uh, My final point is this, that unity is a result of the cross Look at verse 13 again. Paul asks the question, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? He's asking a rhetorical question. Is the person of Jesus divided? Paul is talking about what the church of Christ should be. Later in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says that the body of Christ is what? The church. And here, here he's setting it up for us to think about Um, is Christ really divided? Paul's saying, this can't be the case. You can't be divided by the people that you follow. You can't be divided by the superficial distinctions. Distinctions that may seem like a big deal to us, like politics, or worldview, or culture, or fill in the blank. These may seem like big distinctions, and in some ways they are. But what binds you together what's a common thread that runs among you what is the biggest truest thing about you what do you place your identity on what do you build your life upon this is the most important thing about you and if this is true if we all have the same mind the same purpose then the body of Christ will not be divided. What is the solution to divisions in the church? How do we achieve the unity that Paul is calling us to? The answer is in the relationship, restoring, reconciling work of Jesus. Listen to these words that Paul writes to the Ephesian church. Ephesians chapter two. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the, His flesh, the dividing wall of unity of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments as expressed in the ordinances, that He might create in, in Himself one new man in the place of two. Let me read that again because this is huge. That He might create in Himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. The gospel that we preach is that we are reconciled to God himself through the blood of Jesus. He took on our sin on the cross. He received all the punishment that we deserve, and he gave us his righteousness in exchange so that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. The implication is that when we look at each other, we should also see the righteousness of Christ. The truest thing you see about the other person in the church is they are perfect and righteous and holy. They are a saint called together to the same purpose that you have. The cross is a reconciliation to God and the cross is also a reconciliation to to your fellow man to your fellow woman the gospel is the message that we're alienated from God by finding our identity apart from him and if you're going to find your identity in something other than Christ you're going to be alienated from the other people in this church you're going to be separated you're going to be divided by the passage that I read to you in Ephesians Jesus is your peace Jesus has reconciled you. And I like what what David said earlier. We're not called to create unity. We're called to live under the unity. There's this common bond that that binds us together. We're called to God. We're also called to each other. There is one new united man in the place of two divided men. This is what brings us together and keeps us together. This is our identity in Christ. We are the body of Christ because the body of Christ, the actual body of Jesus Christ, was broken on the cross. That was the only time it should have ever been broken. I'm going to break the body of Christ on the cross, God says, so that my body of Christ here on earth will not be broken. This is the gospel that Paul preaches, and this is the gospel that provides unity for us Paul ends in verse 17 for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power this is the power this is the power that we have as a church and I'm not going to preach again until the first week of September but the first week of September I'm going to talk more about the this message of the cross Um, I'm really excited about this message Um, we're going to have a couple other um, preachers preach for us and I'm really excited about that as well and guess what they'll be preaching the same message as I do the same message that we fall under so indelible grace church may this be true of us that we are united that we have the same mind the same purpose that there is a harmony to this church and may we make something beautiful with what we have may this be true of us will you pray with me Father, we are grateful that we are not left alone. But sometimes, when we are brought together in community, there are things that we don't like, people that we don't like, opinions that we don't like, preferences that we don't like. But this does not have to be the most important thing about our church. May it never be, actually. May the most important thing about us be the fact that we believe the gospel that we are under the lordship of Jesus Christ and that we have a common desire to follow him and help others follow him. Make it true of us, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.